0: Good morning to you. That was anemic. Uh, let's go. Let's try again. Good morning. Ah, that's great. Oh, yes. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. How many dads are here? Let's see those proud dad hands. There you go. Uh, my I opened my cards today. I got a uh, card from my grandchildren in, in uh, Elmhurst, Illinois. And I really liked it, uh, the fact that they give me a card uh, just that alone. But it said, uh, hey, this, this Father's Day, uh, we know that you're, it's, you're just not a father, you're a granddad. And you open it up and, and, and uh, it says, it's like a father who's got a promotion. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. So how many granddads out there? Let me see those hands. You can, you, can, you can lift it up with the other hand if you want. Okay, good. Yeah, it's good. It's great to have you here today. Gary, Gary said it already beautifully. He, um, we all in our lives have favorites, do we not? We have things that we favor over others. We have favorite teams, we have favorite colors, we have favorite cars, we have favorite students, favorite teachers, favorite bosses, favorite relatives. We have friends that we favor over others. We have favorite restaurants. We have favorite airlines, although that's sort of been a struggle lately. Um, We have favorite foods. Favorite books, favorite movies—all you, you know, I know. We all we have with things that we just okay. I'm sort of partial to that. That's that's my favorite, and it's it's normal behavior to have that. If you read the Gospels, you will see that there there is a um, there is a concentric circle arrangement of of people that follow Jesus uh, in. One part of, the, of uh, the gospel, you have Jesus sending out 70 of his disciples, two by two, to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. And they would go to villages in, in, in Galilee to, to proclaim this. 70 people who, who Jesus designated for this. And then the, the next circle within that is the circle of 12, the 12 disciples that, that followed Jesus around and, and, and basically lived a life with him for three years. And in that group of 12, there was a group of three, Peter, James, and John, who were selected for some special events that the other disciples weren't a part of. And if you read the Gospel of John carefully, you, you realize that John, at least, uh, makes the statement that uh, he was probably the one who was closest to Jesus. He describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Certainly loved all of them. But there, there, were, there were people who, who were close and then closer and closest. So, so it's not bad Necessarily to have favorites. I remember uh, a few years ago, I was listening to um, Nancy Lee DeMoss. Now Nancy Wolgemuth, she has had a ministry for years on the radio, and she speaks all around the world. And she was talking about her upbringing. Her her father, Art DeMoss, was a very successful businessman. He he founded and and grew an insurance company, and with his wealth, he supported uh, lots of ministries and 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 gave his money. Away prodigiously. He was a great man. And uh, she said, When I was growing up in my home, my dad, when we would spend some time together one on one, he, he would usually, somewhere in that conversation, he'd get close to me and he'd whisper in my ear, Nancy, you're my favorite child. You're my favorite. And she said, I, I just remember how special that made me feel. So it's, it's okay to have favorites, but we're moving into a passage where we're looking at the, at the fact that sometimes that can go a little bit awry. James, and what we know now is, is really a straightforward and a pretty hard-hitting uh, kind of communication that he has in this letter, he takes on the topic of showing favoritism, specifically showing favoritism in the wrong way. You know, we, we've all heard the, the statement, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Have you ever said that? It's not what you know, it's who you know. And there's really sort of a lot of truth in that, isn't there? You apply online to, uh, to get a job. Your resume is just one of, of hundreds that comes over the Internet. But if you know someone in that company who can put your name uh, in a place where it would be noticed and, 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 and get more consideration, wow, that's, that's, that's something that's, that's a little bit better. You probably haven't just heard it said. You've said it yourself, getting that job that you want, getting, getting that opportunity, getting into that college that you want to go to, getting onto the team that you, that you really desire to be on. Sometimes it pays to know people, doesn't it? Well, there's a clear message in the text we're about to read, and it comes through loud and clear, and here, here it is. It's okay to have favorites, but you can't play favorites. It's okay to have favorites. You can't play favorites. So I want us to look at the text, James chapter 2, and uh, we'll begin with verse 1. You have your Bibles you can open there. Or you can read along. Uh, Listen to in your bulletin as well. Verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? So if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. This is the word of God. So here's the message. Believers in Jesus, committed followers of the Lord must not show favoritism. And the first example James uses is is to contrast how we differentiate between the wealthy and the poor. So take a moment and and evaluate your own attitude. Ask yourself this question, do I I treat people differently differently? based on their social status or their wealth. Think about that. Do you? Do I treat people differently based on their social status or their wealth? And it's not just rich or poor here that James is trying to drive home the point. He just uses that as an example. There are other, other things that we would tend to favor people and, and, and look at people in different ways, maybe their personality or, or, or their appearance, whatever it is. James says we've got to watch out that we don't differentiate in that way. I I have to confess that's my tendency. I I evaluate people. You do too, I would suppose, based uh, sometimes on first impressions. I I think that's probably pretty common among us. James Dobson wrote a book, Hide or Seek. Uh, It's a book on parenting. And in this book, he says that there's a gold coin of human self-worth that we teach our children and a silver coin of human self-worth. The gold coin of human self-worth, what our culture uh, lifts people up for, lifts children up for, and encourages them to be the gold coin of where they find self-worth is their physical appearance. That's the number one thing in our culture. Think about it. It's true. It's all appearance. It's all how you look and what you wear. And, and uh, I'm reminded uh, William Paley, who is the the... CEO of CBS News and, and uh, was, was very influential in the 50s and 60s in terms of the media and what, what news outlets would, would report. He, he had great power. He, his wife's name was Babe Paley, and she was, she was sort of the center of the social set in New York City and Long Island. And she has, is famous for this statement, you can't be too rich or too poor. Or, yeah, you can't be too rich or too thin. You can't be too rich or too thin. That, that's a really lovely statement, isn't it? Think about it. But that's our, that's our culture. And a lot of times we evaluate people on their appearance. Dobson goes on to say there's a silver coin of human self-worth, and that's intelligence. So if you don't make it on the looks side, if, you're, if you've got intelligence, if you can get ahead that way, we honor our children for that, and our culture honors that as, as well. Um, I wasn't smart enough to know I wasn't good-looking, so I made it through okay with my self-image, right? James is saying, look, and there are three things I want to point out, just briefly, in terms of this passage. The first one is this, as you look at the first verses in this passage. We all tend to show favoritism, which really is, in essence, judging others. Is it not? When I show favoritism, when when I... show favoritism one person over another. I'm really making a quiet, maybe sometimes subconscious, but it's there nonetheless, judgment in terms of the worth of of two different people. Jesus in Matthew 7 says it beautifully. He says, don't judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Then he gives this very memorable illustration. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Who can say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We tend toward favoritism in a way that really judges other people and one of the realizations that I've come to over my several decades of doing counseling and meeting with people and, and trying to to figure out you know what what's going on in their lives and in their heads sometimes my first impressions aren't the best impressions and they're not accurate I'd I like to think that I can size people up quickly but've I've seen more times than not lately especially that And I'm going, you know, that first impression, that didn't quite fit in terms of when I really got to know this person and understand where they're coming from. Everyone has a story and has a reason that that they are the way they are based on that story. You have a story. I have a story. What we have to be careful is that we don't pigeonhole and, and, and categorize people too quickly in the process. Uh, a few years ago, I, I met with a, a man. He was in his late 40s, and uh, he came in to see me because he had been single his whole life and now was considering marriage, which is, that's a pretty big decision. You've been single that long, and you're a guy, and it's that, that changes your life. I found marriage changes your life. And so he was there, and uh, he wanted to, to know, okay, let's, let's figure out some things. He wanted to do some counseling with, with him and his fiancee. Uh, the woman that he eventually married uh, had been married before. She had children of her own, and her children had children. So there were some there were some factors in play there. Uh, this this man was really he was quiet. He he was introverted, pretty mild mannered, and I thought he had him pretty well pegged in terms of who he was. And but the more I met with him, and found out what he did, he'd been in, in ministry all his years in in a supportive role. He he did administration. He wasn't an upfront kind of a guy. But I saw him in his interaction with, with his soon-to-be wife and how he loved her and how he embraced the role of being an immediate father and an immediate grandfather. And I saw how beautifully he did it. And all of a sudden, I'm going, oh, okay. There's more to this man than I realized. There is depth there. He's a hero, really. He did a beautiful job of loving well in the midst of a pretty tough, uh, tough environment that, that he walked into. When I did student ministry, I, I was at Princeton University, Ivy League school. This was years ago. You know, I've seen the freshman dorm. There are two freshmen. They were both believers, and and you know, you go to an Ivy League school. And and um, remember this conversation. They used words that I had to look up in the dictionary after I was done with the conversation. Freshman. I'm you know I'm ten years their senior by now, and I'm going. Oh, this is now I know why you're in an Ivy League school. That's interesting. And they're talking, and we're talking about our faith and what we're going to do. These are the leaders of tomorrow, right? These are the brilliant people and uh, lovely guys. And and, uh, this one guy looked at me. He said, you know what? He says, I just have this theory about heaven. I go, well, he's brilliant. I want to hear about your theory about heaven. What what is it? He says, you know who I think is going to be really honored in heaven? Here I'm talking about a guy who's going to be a leader, a guy who's going to be significant in terms of what he does. He says, The people who are going to be significant in heaven, the people who are really going to be honored, are the grandmothers who can't leave their homes because they're probably not physically able and they they are believers and they will sit all day and pray for the people that God lays on their heart. He says, I have a grandmother like that and she's wonderful. First impressions James says, watch out for favoritism. That's judging others. And remember, it's it's not like they had church like we have church. It's not like they had big assemblies. These were men and women who met in homes. And the custom of that day is when an honored guest comes in, you give them the best seat. That's just the way things worked. James says, we're not doing it that way anymore. We're doing it differently. Because in Christ, we're all one. So when that rich person comes in, you don't treat them any differently than when the poor person comes in, because if you do, you're judging other people. So, first point, we tend to show favoritism, which in essence is judging, and then James goes on, verse 8, and he makes this point, and it's important in, in terms of Uh, driving home what he's saying here. Because in verse 8, he says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And here's the point. Whoever keeps the the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. James is saying, look, you want to talk about favoritism? We have all fallen short. There's not one of us, not one of us in this room. There was not one of us who, one believer who read this letter over the centuries, who's been exposed to, who who stands in perfection before God. We have all fallen short. Whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because he's saying, look, there's, there's no reason to think that you are any better than anyone else, given who you really are. So if we take this seriously this call not to play favorites we need to be continually reminded of our own sinfulness not in a negative or, or 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 morose kind of way but but in a practical oh okay i fall short and i need to continually ask myself this question who do who do i think i am If you're here and you're not quite sure where, where your faith is, or you've been struggling in your faith, maybe you're not a believer in Jesus yet, and you're, you're trying to, to figure it out. Uh, this is why you probably maybe it would be a reason why you're, you're a little bit hesitant, because you have looked at, at uh, people who are Christians, who say they're Christians, who have criticized other people and judged other people. And that's not attractive. We're all sinners. I've told you this before, and I'll continue to confess it because I, I, somehow it's got to get better in my life. I'm getting too old for it. I'm, I'm too competitive for my own good. I really am. I hate to lose. It's it's awful to lose. It just is. And uh, it's, it's just a personal affront to me. So if you uh, are competitive with me in any game, just sort of take that into consideration, okay? I, I can't watch sporting events of teams that I really root for anymore live. I can't do it. Yeah, I get too wrought. Uh, up, I, I, my emotions get my heart starts beating fast I start yelling at a television which is really an unintelligent thing to do, don't you think I, I, I just I, I'm, I was watching the soccer match last night, I thought I'll, I'll, I'll try to watch Orlando City and I, I, I made it through their first goal and then Montreal's first goal and I just turned it off I, I recorded it, but I just can't, I, I'm too involved, I can't, I can't watch it I take it too personally I really do if someone defeats my team, I count that as a personal insult. Why? Why should my team win and your team lose? I'll tell you why. Because my team is better than your team, right? Huh? We all fall short. James is saying, look, there's no, there's no differentiation because you've got to remember what you've been saved from. So this crazy comparison game we play with each other. And there's only, really only one person to whom we've been called to compare ourselves. You know who that is, and I know who that is. Anyone any one of you who's a believer, it's Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's the one that we hold up as our standard. One who came to this earth and lived his life in perfect obedience to the will of his father. And I can look at all God's standards, and I can do my picking and choosing and say, I'm pretty good over here, and I'm better than most here. But I, I play a dangerous game when I do that because I open myself up to favoritism and being judgmental. I've got to remember that I fall short. So we all tend to show favoritism, which is judging others. We've all fallen short of God's standards. Last point is this. We're all called to be a merciful people. Why? Because we've been shown mercy verse 12 speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful and then he ends with this great statement at the end of, of this passage mercy triumphs over judgment mercy triumphs over judgment so it matters what we say to others we we. We need to show mercy. the The, the Greek word for mercy is elios, and it has the sense about it of of compassion. When you are merciful, you are trying to look at the world through someone else's eyes. You are trying to walk a bit in their shoes. Mercy, when it's extended, it 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 basically says, "Hey." It, if you've offended me, I, don't, I don't, do not choose to justify any offense back toward you, any, any, any words, any actions that I might think are commensurate with what you have treated me with. Mercy says, nope, I'm going, to, I'm going to release that. And I'm not going to give you what I feel you deserve. It matters what we say, and it matters how we treat other people. We're to show no partiality, no judgment, and we're not to be self-promoting. So here's a question for you, another question I want you to think about. Who in your life right now, today, who in your life is the person who's most difficult to show mercy to? Who would that be? I've got a couple examples that, that you might chuckle a little bit at this, but how about Donald Trump? Do you show Donald Trump mercy? I see a lot of people that don't. And just so you don't think I'm being political, do you show Hillary Clinton mercy? Is it a spouse that you have difficulty with? Is it a son? Is it a daughter? Is it a brother, a sister, is it a boss, an employee, girlfriend, boyfriend, best friend, ex-best friend? This isn't an option. We're not given an option here. What God calls us to, if we take our faith seriously, what James is, is encouraging us with and exhorting us toward is a people who are continually merciful. Nothing in it for me. And I release the right to get even. I release the right for revenge. Zach, last week, if you listened to Zach's message last week, he ended the first chapter with this curious verse that James puts in here. I just... I always am fascinated by this. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Interesting, isn't it? You want to talk about a faith that's really pure? You want to talk about something that really is something you cannot criticize? Go out and minister to the people that cannot give back to you at all, at least not initially. And he pinpoints orphans and widows. Orphans, children, that they can't give back by virtue of where they are. And, and widows, almost universally, were, were, were uh, in a situation where they, they were in, in deep poverty. That's pure and undefiled religion. I like the fact that we have a ministry, at 33rd Street Jail. We, we minister to, to the men and women. I was a partner at Summit when we decided to do that. I've always always supported that and and love the fact that we go and uh, and minister to those men and women john parker our lead pastor is is the key person on sunday afternoons and john i've seen john at two services on sunday morning he goes to the to 33rd street uh, in mid-afternoon and he comes back at six o'clock he doesn't need something else to do on sunday but he goes and he ministers to those men and Lindsay, one of our staff members, goes and ministers to the women. And I like it because the, the privilege we have of being with men and women who really can't give anything back except we are get so excited to see how God works in their lives in such a special way. They have experienced their faith in a, in a, in a profound way that, that perhaps you and I won't ever experience, but we get to be a part of that. No partiality. Matthew 25 says, when did did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. Nancy Liedemoss didn't stop with that illustration of her father telling her she was his favorite child she said uh, and that went on for decades until my dad uh, died in his 50s very untimely death it was sudden it was it was shocking um, people from all over the country all over the world came to his memorial service the family was obviously in grief and mourning but they celebrated a life that was really quite profound and so she said after after the, the things had settled down and, and the, the family was was together in a, in, in a more intimate uh, way, they, they uh, were in a room, she was in a room with her siblings, her, her brothers. And they were talking about their dad and their experiences, so just part of the, the follow-up of all the, this emotional time. And she said, finally, she said, I broke down. She said, I, I'm sorry, I've got a confession to make. She said, um, and I know this is probably going to hurt you, but but dad told me when I was growing up, he would always tell me that I was his favorite child. And I sort of feel bad about that, and, and, but I just, I just feel like I need to tell you. Of course, the brothers are just, the mouths are over like that. And then brother to brother, uh, the first one starts, says, wait a second. That's what dad told me. And the next one, well, wait a second. That's what dad told me. Every one of his children, Art DeMoss, you're my favorite. You know what God says to you and me? You're my favorite. Words of William Young, I'm especially fond of you. I love that line. You're my favorite. If God says that to us, then we need to extend that to others without partiality. We're to take his mercy and extend it to the least of these. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Lord, give us the grace and the strength to show your love to the people in our lives. Lord, especially the people that we might struggle with the most, people that we don't know if they are appreciative of us or have wronged us or aren't the people that we really enjoy being with or or perhaps have something against. I would ask, Lord, for myself, for each person here, that we would be a people that would love with your love and that would enjoy your pleasure at the fact that we have taken care of those who need care. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you that he's the one who paved the way for us. So we could live a life in a relationship with you. It's in his name. We pray. Amen.